Why, it's a pleasure to see the, the group here this morning. Uh, God is very good. It's getting close, all right. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to uh, Hebrews, the uh, sixth chapter. And uh, I'd like to read a little bit from, well, the first three verses. I really appreciate my Seventh-day Adventist church. You know, when I was young, I went to church just because my parents went there. For me, it was a cultural experience. And then, I suppose when I was in my junior age, God touched my heart and I said, I want to be baptized. And I went through the baptismal class and I was baptized. When the teen years came, uh, it's often that uh, questions arise. Anybody ever experienced some of that? Uh, why am I here? I watched the, the, my fellow students around me wrestling. I myself did some wrestling. And when all was said and done, and I think I'm grown up now, <clears throat> I know that the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the theology of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, answers questions for me better than anything else that I have ever heard. It is a system that explains, gives hope and perspective. I'd like to wrestle with some of the questions that maybe you've thought about, maybe you haven't, uh, today. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. Now what follows is a rather interesting list. If I listen to uh, TV evangelists, I find uh, that what they are often speaking of is elementary things. Yet Paul in the book of Hebrews is calling on to a maturity, asking hard questions. Notice with, uh, with me, will you, the list of uh, basics, okay? Uh, repentance from acts that lead to death. Faith in God. Instruction about baptism. The laying on of hands. The resurrection from a dead, from, of the dead. And eternal judgment. Those are the basics. And uh, I think most of Christianity does a fairly good job in wrestling with these. But Paul is calling us to move further. And in verse 3 he says... And God permitting, we will do so, that is, leave the elementary and move on to something a little more, a little more depth, a little more meaty. One of the questions that rolls around in my mind is, why has it been 7,000 years of sin? Why has God let it go on so long? Have you ever wrestled with that question? My simple mind says, if God is really a God of love and He allows sin to go on one second longer than absolutely necessary, then He's really not as loving as He says He is, right? I suppose one of my favorite questions, and maybe this one is for this afternoon, because that's divided up, you see, into a couple. Number one is, why has it been 2,000 years since Jesus died? And He hasn't come back. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, let me see if I can 
if I can identify it. Yes, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, we find uh, the writer uh, saying, uh, verse 37, Hebrews 10, 37, For just a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not delay. It was the expectation of the disciples that Jesus was going to be coming right away. Why did it take 2,000 years before... Well, Jesus hasn't come back yet. We say His coming is soon, and I do believe it is. I would challenge you to try to answer that question. The answer that I have arrived at, uh, I think, defines the very presence of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The one I would like to wrestle with this morning... <laughs> It's been a harder one for me, but I think I'm beginning to understand it. And I come to you as a searcher, not someone who has it all nailed down. But why was it 4,000 years after the creation of the earth and the fall and sin came in until Jesus finally came? Why, you know, Cain was expected. I mean, we understand by his name, his mother thought he was the promised one. And it just, each Jewish mother down through time expected that maybe their son would be the one. Yet, 4,000 years passed before Jesus finally came. Do you understand why? Have you ever wrestled with a question? Anybody ever asked themselves the question? Yeah? Okay, a few. Good. To me, this is getting down to the meat. And this is where, in my mind, Seventh-day Adventism and our understanding of the great controversy begins to answer questions in a wonderful way. The title, Wait, Watchers Anonymous. <clears throat> I'm a health educator, so I thought that would be appropriate. <clears throat> But it seems like there's been a lot of waiting, 4,000 years of waiting until Jesus came, and then 2,000 until now. And maybe it has something to do with anonymous watchers. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 26 gives us, I think, a bit of a clue. Verse, uh, Hebrews 9, verse 26, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now in the end of the world hath he appeared to take away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Something, God was waiting for something to happen. You may remember that uh, back in the very beginning when God created the earth, it, was, it must have been a magnificent time with uh, God saying, let there be light. Uh, God saying, let the dry land appear and the plants. And then kneeling over Adam, uh, breathing into his uh, mouth the breath of life. I would have enjoyed being there to see God bringing the animals to Adam. Have you ever noticed in the scripture it says... God said to see what he would name them. I would have, if I had been God, I'd have said, this is a giraffe. Notice how I put the long neck on there. If you like this elephant, look at the long nose. God had put into Adam this whole sense of creativity. And so Adam uh, created names for these animals. He discovered himself to be alone and God made him a, a partner. There were angels watching. 
And I think that's where the Watchers Anonymous come from. For God has a universe of uh, beings that love Him and have served Him. Angels were watching when God created the earth and they thought it was wonderful. Do you know we have an idea from Scripture what they said and what they did at creation? Have you ever seen it? Uh, it's found in the uh, book of Job. Uh, chapter 38, God is actually speaking to Job uh, after kind of a long dialogue with his three friends. And uh, he is speaking. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? That's verse 4. And then down to verse 7. While the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. What would have been like to have been an angel? Were these... Uh, Angels joyous over this new experience. Yes, they looked. Remember from uh, Revelation chapter uh, 12, there had been a perfect angel who had become rebellious and had actually taken a third of the angels with it. This uh, seems awful loud to me. Does, does it seem loud to you? Okay. I hear a ring. <laughs> okay. So angels were watching to see what was happening. They were sensing the joy of the, of the creation process. Angels, once Adam and Eve fell, were given the job of guarding the opening to the garden. Remember, they stood there with the sword and not, did not allow uh, Adam and Eve back in for fear, God says, that they would eat from the tree of life and live forever. What follows was uh, about 2,000 years, a little shy of 2,000 years, of continual worsening. As uh, human beings began to experiment, they were created as glorious and strong beings they could go and be and do. At the end of about 2,000 years, uh, the message that uh, the Bible gives us in Genesis chapter 6 is that the, eyes, the thoughts of men's minds were evil continually. That's pretty bad. And God decided to start over. What do you think the angels thought as they saw all the evil going on? Yes, there were a few for the Lord. Um, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, you may remember. So the angels observed and they watched this destructive process as the flood came. Can you imagine being an angel herding animals into the ark by twos and by sevens? Uh, having chosen to follow God, recognizing that there's a devil and his angels who are trying to make things wicked, they seem to be, they seem to be winning and God destroys and starts over. We get another little picture into what happens in the heavenly courts, into what's happening in the angels' minds in the book of Job. And you remember the story, how uh, God had made a meeting of the sons of God. I think that's what the King James Version says, right? There was a meeting of the sons of God, and as I thought about this, I wondered who these sons of God were. I remember from the, uh, uh, what is it, the... The begat in, in Matthew, it goes back until Adam was a son of God. In my own simple mind, I, I see the first begat of each creation gathered together. God running his universe in a way that involved his, his creatures, the ones that he had made. 
we know that he gives them jobs to do. And here's this committee meeting. Now, have you ever been to a committee meeting when there was somebody in charge who was very authoritative? I imagine a boardroom like this, right? The chairman is there and everybody does it and it's yes sir and things happen. Actually, the, the boardroom that we look into in heaven is a bit more gracious than that because uh, someone comes to the meeting who is uninvited. His name was Lucifer. He's recognized well in the courts of heaven. And since this is a gathering of the heads of the world, and he says, the earth is mine, he says, I'm supposed to be here. This is when you have the committee meeting, and he walks in. And rather than calling on the sergeant of arms to remove him, God entertains some dialogue. Satan says, I'm from the earth. It's mine. And God's response, I just love it. Have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> oh, oh, it's it's really all yours, huh? <laughs> and so it becomes this little this little communication, and and I see the heavenly world looking on and saying, "Wow, is that so? Yeah, Job seems a pretty nice fellow." And God turns Satan loose on him. Just don't touch his. So, leave him alone. You can do whatever you want. You think he serves you just because you bless him? No, more reasons than that. And so Job proved. Well, Satan came back for the next committee meeting and said, well, just, you wouldn't let me touch him, remember? And God finally allowed him to actually touch Job's person with those terrible boils. Watchers, anonymous, looking on and asking questions. You see, Satan had raised in their minds questions in his rebellion, questions about the character of God. Was God really a God of love or was he a manipulative God? Now, if I had been God, and I often wonder, I, I would make a poor God. You have a, you know, you're glad I'm not. But as I think about what it would have been like, I, I think that the easiest thing for me would have been to take that guy, Lucifer, and send him off to, I don't know what part of the galaxy, and somewhere out there just kind of zap him and kind of take care of it. Uh, I think questions would have arisen. Satan, by his finagling, had actually been able to make God appear as, as evil. His own characteristics of, uh, Satan's own characteristics of, of uh, control and, and uh, selfishness, he managed to turn upon God. And the angels who had chosen to stay still had questions, didn't they? And so they waited and they watched. And each one of these little adventures taught them something about the kingdom of heaven and about the character of the of the creator and what it really was another one that i think of where angels were involved the watchers had to do with abraham abraham was out in front of his tent one day you remember and three men he saw coming by in the desert he invited them in only to discover that one of them was actually God himself, we understand it to be Jesus, and two of them were angels. They finally revealed that to him, and you remember uh, Jesus said to uh, the angels, well, you go on ahead, I'm going to stay here and talk with Abraham for a little bit. And they had their little discussion. 
as the angels went into the city of Sodom to discover just how bad it was. You see, it was in God's mind to do something that we understand from Scripture to be his strange act. And he needed a record for history about what would happen or what had happened. Have you ever read in scripture where it says in the mouth of two or three witnesses a thing shall be established? He sent two angels into Sodom to experience the evil and now, though destroyed by fire, should the question ever arise about the character of God and what happened and why, there are two angels who were there. I can tell you what that was about. Can you imagine being one of God's witnesses as an angel coming to Sodom, discovering the wickedness, and then watching the destruction? God has his angels involved with the running of his universe. It is amazing. Another picture that we see into what was going on in heaven before Jesus came occurred on uh, Mount Nebo. Uh, Moses, at the end of a rather distinguished career, uh, yes, made a mistake and God asked him to go up to the top of Nebo and there he buried him. But his heart was so attached to this man, Moses, that he said, I can't live without him. And he went down to raise him from the dead. The story is in Jude, remember? Uh, Jude uh, chapter 1 and verse 9. We have a picture of the archangel, uh, Michael the archangel, who I understand to be Jesus. Jude chapter 1 and verse 9, even the, Mike angel, uh, uh, the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. What a picture. The creator of the universe is coming to get Moses. The angels are watching anonymously, and certainly for us. And Satan comes to dispute, and instead of getting into an argument, as I would have done, God is so much wiser, it is a simple, the Lord rebuke thee. And then he takes Moses to be with him. Of course, we meet Moses again in the New Testament. Another place that I see watchers anonymously watching, is uh, in the book of Daniel. We're beginning to study it. You remember that one of the chapters in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, is actually written by a fellow by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, a rather key player in the book. And he describes uh, discovering a uh, one morning when he wakes up, he had a dream that he really wanted to know the answer to. It was a tree, a vision, a dream about a tree. And it, was, it had grown up, it had birds and animals underneath it, and then it was cut down, banded for seven years. Uh, Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17 caught my eye one day as I was perusing through. The decision is announced or decreed by the watchers. The King James Version says, decreed by the watchers. Can you imagine Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the, of the whole world at that time, had been one of God's missionary projects. First he sent to Nebuchadnezzar this guy by the name of Daniel, probably about his same age. 
uh, although Daniel was a slave and Nebuchadnezzar was at the top, Nebuchadnezzar found him ten times wiser, put him in charge of the kingdom. Uh, he was impressed. Then there was this vision that made him angry. Remember about the, he couldn't remember it, the wise men. So uh, he was going to kill them. Daniel came in and he's in awe. Wow, the God, your God, Daniel's God looks forward to the future. But he rebelled against that. I think it kind of nagged him. And it didn't take very long, a few years before he had built an image of all gold. God of, of Daniel may have been a good, maybe a good God, but let me tell you, I'm great. I'm going to make this, this image all gold. And of course... God sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to kind of turn his world upside down. And what was his response? Do you remember? Everybody better worship this God or else I'm going to make their house a dunghill. <laughs> he didn't understand God's heart yet. He just knew God's power. Well, there was still pride, wasn't there, in his heart. And he finally grew to the point, he said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? God gave him a warning. And I can't, I, over and over again, I, I, I think of Daniel's wisdom. You know, some of us, if we have the word of the Lord for somebody that they're going to have a bad time, we're ready to give it, you know, thumping our Bibles. And instead of that, uh, Daniel said, uh, Oh, King, I wish this was for your enemies, not for you. There was a graciousness in his communication. Daniel discovered, you remember at the end of chapter 4, that there is a God in heaven who reigns. And his heart was changed completely. This was a missionary venture. God sending his people to take Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And it was an odd sort of a journey, but what an incredible one. An angel watching this. It says this was this be cut down. The tree was to be cut down. Nebuchadnezzar was to be cut down by the decree of the watchers. In my own mind, trying to understand that, and I can't tell you for sure if it's true, can't verify it from other places of inspiration, but I hear God saying, well, angels, what shall we do now? We sent the vision, okay, we, we had the fiery furnace experience, look, he's still exalted, he still thinks he's somebody, I put him up there, what shall we do? Well, cut him down, and uh, make him a good vegetarian. <laughs> he ate grass for seven years, right, until he understood that God was in charge. Another picture that we have into the way God runs his universe before Jesus came comes from the first chapter of Zechariah. You probably haven't noticed this one before. Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 8. This is right at the very end of the uh, Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 8. During the night, Zechariah says, I had a vision and there before me was a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. Interesting vision. Myrtle trees, uh, a little bit of a, uh, uh, a ravine. Verse 9, I asked, what are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I'll show you what they are. Verse 10, then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, so who's talking? You know, the angel that, was, that, that uh, Zechariah was talking to says, well, we'll explain. And the one that actually answers the question, who are these, is the one in the myrtle trees. So the one with the, uh, 
uh, it was a a red horse. These are the ones that the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and peace. What an interesting job that the angels had been given to go throughout the earth and kind of check things out. Now, if you know about Zechariah and where it was historically, this is the time for Jerusalem to be restored after the Babylonian captivity. Uh, Zechariah has this question, you know, are we going to be able to go back? The 70 years of prophecy is about over. Now what happens? And he looks, he's given a vision into heaven. And here, the angel of the Lord, who I believe is Jesus himself, is with a red horse in the myrtle trees, getting a report from the angels who have gone through all the earth. And they say, everything's at peace. It's time to restore. And so, the rest of the book of Zechariah follows on with that whole story about how the uh, temple would be rebuilt, remember, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Angels involved in how God is running his universe. Isn't it neat to know that God doesn't run his universe by fiat? That he doesn't stand up and say, go do that, go do that, go do that, but he invites questions? Have you considered my servant Job? Go out in the earth. What do you see out there? Report to me. The angels are involved in this process. They're trying to understand and trying to learn. Now, we've got a few minutes. I've got a real hard one for you. And I told you I was a searcher, so I'm not coming with the uh, with the answers here. I've, I've been wrestling to try to understand them. You remember when God stood up on top of the mountain and gave the law to, to the Israelites? There, uh, Mount Sinai, fire... Lightning, thunder, I mean it must have been a magnificent time. We have some evidence in scripture that he did that with the angel's encouragement. Would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 3 and verse uh, 19. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. In Adventism over the years, there has been, historically, some incredible arguments over this verse. But let's pay attention to it here and see what it says. Rather than the stuff they argued about, we'll look at some of the things they didn't argue about in the text. (laughs) What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. Somebody have a King James Version? What does that say? Ordained by angels. Now, I don't know about you, but when I looked at that, I said, the law was ordained by angels. I said, I I know what ordained means. I know elders get ordained. And uh, what does it really mean? So I went to the... uh, my handy-dandy computer, you know, and looked up the original word to see what it meant. It's a, it means, or it is uh, uh, translated, ordained, arranged, prearranged, prescribed, charged, directed, commanded. That's what it means. And the, the word, the phrase, as a matter of fact, that the law was actually uh, ordained through angels, was actually also that same phrase as given by Stephen when he was giving his speech before the, the Sanhedrin. He said the very same phrase. Can you imagine? 
what this would mean. Uh, as I thought about it, if that's true, then God is saying, these children of Israel, they came out of Egypt, they were they didn't want to come, but yeah, they came, and they went out victorious, they came to the Red Sea, they were scared to death, I, I parted it for them, they walked through. They said, oh great, God, God really worked for us, and then three days later, they're arguing because the water is bitter, remember? And then, oh, we're hungry, and then, oh, we want some meat, or, and then why did you bring us out? Full of complaints. And they keep uh, rebelling against God. And I just imagine the wordage of this particular text and the one in Acts makes me wonder if God didn't look around and say, well, got any other ideas? <laughs> and the angel said, you know, well, why don't you try just telling them? So he stood up on the mountain and told them. Did telling them change them? They said, oh, we're afraid, you know, uh, uh, just talk to Moses and, and Moses will talk to us. And in a few weeks later, they were worshiping a golden calf. That didn't work either. We kind of understand at least part of that as the old covenant, don't we? So, God trying to get through to his people. What a challenge he has. And to do it in such a way that he does not prove Satan's accusations right, that he is selfish, that he does things arbitrarily, that he does that he is he does things for his own good. And so why did it take four thousand years? I don't know that I have the full answer. I found some clues as I was reading through the desire of ages you know the book right and when I ask the question and start to think about the great controversy I begin to learn some things uh, in the first part of the book desire of ages there's a chapter that's entitled in the fullness of time quotes from Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 Jesus came in flesh in the fullness of time what is it about that fullness of time why was that time full at 4,000 years let me read uh, Desire of Ages, chapter 30, uh, uh, page 35, first uh, paragraph. The fullness of the time had come. Humanity becoming more degraded through ages of transgression called for the coming of the Redeemer. Satan had been working to make the gulf deep and impassable between earth and heaven. By his falsehoods he had emboldened men in sin. It was his purpose to wear out the forbearance of God and to extinguish his love for man so that he would abandon the world to satanic jurisdiction. An incredible picture here. Satan trying to so twist human beings that God would again, as he had at the flood, say, I'm starting over or I don't care about this, I am done with it. The next paragraph, uh, Satan was seeking to shut out from men a knowledge of God, to turn their attention from the temple of God, and to establish his own kingdom. His strife for supremacy seemed to be almost successful. End quote. The religion of God, which had been set up, yes, by Moses starting at the, uh, at the mountain and had extended through a variety of different experiences all the way to the time of Christ, had become, instead of a religion that reflected God's love as it was supposed to, had, had become a religion that reflected 
of selfishness. The priests at the top were managing everything. It was the antithesis of God's kingdom. It was a mirror of Satan's kingdom. And Satan wanted God to give up. Uh, same book, page 37, first paragraph. Sin had become a science and vice was consecrated as a part of religion. Rebellion had struck its roots deep into the heart and the hostility of man was most violent against heaven. It was demonstrated before the universe that apart from God, humanity could not be uplifted. To me, that's the answer to the question that we ask. Why has it been 4,000 years? God was trying to demonstrate to the onlooking universe that there was nothing that man could do. There was nothing that angels could come up with that would actually bring about the salvation of man. They could not be changed without a divine intervention. Reading on. A new element of life and power must be imparted by him who made the world. With intense interest, the unfallen worlds had watched to see Jehovah arise and sweep away the inhabitants of the earth. And if God should do this, Satan was ready to carry out his plan for securing to himself the allegiance of heavenly beings. He had declared that the principles of God's government make forgiveness impossible. Isn't that interesting? Even the angels of God looked on to the human morass and said, God, you're going to have to just wipe it out. It wasn't until the angels had given up that God said, the fullness of time. Your ideas are gone. Now is the time. And God came himself. Had the world uh, been destroyed, he would have claimed, that is, Satan would have claimed, that his accusations were proved true. He was ready to cast blame upon God and to spread his rebellion to the worlds above. But instead of destroying the world, God sent his son to save it. Through corruption and defiance, excuse me, though corruption and defiance might be seen in every part of the, of the alien province, a way for its recovery was provided at the very crisis when Satan seemed about to triumph. The Son of God came with the embassage of divine grace. Through every age, through every hour, the love of God had been exercised toward the fallen race. Notwithstanding the perversity of men, the signals of mercy had been continually exhibited. And when the fullness of time had come, the deity was glorified by pouring upon the world a flood of healing grace that was never to be obstructed or withdrawn till the plan of salvation should be fulfilled. I am amazed at a God who runs his creation the way he does. Often maligned and misunderstood, even today by the Christian church, not understanding his heart of grace, which he pours out, never to be stopped. Started with Jesus and it rolls on to the present day. And someday soon, we are promised, sin and sickness will be no more. As we sang about in Revelation chapter 21, I appreciated that song very much, the message of that song. Sin and sickness will be no more. Trouble will be gone. Uh, we will live in joy forever with a God who is not out to get us, but a God who is out to get us.
He loves us deeply. <laughs> not to destroy us, not to put us in hell, but to have us with Him forever. Do you remember what it was said of Satan? I think it's in... Uh, is it Ezekiel 14 or 28 or Isaiah 14? It's, it says, uh, I think it's Ezekiel 28, where it said of Satan, he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be among the fiery stones. He wanted to sit enthroned. All the things that Satan wanted are to be given to God's people. We sit with Jesus on his throne. We're promised that. We're with him in the fiery stones. Satan wanted to be like God. And by God's grace, his character will be reproduced in his people. <laughs> the last chapter of Romans, and I'm sorry I don't remember the verse, but look it up. I love it. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. When we understand the true character of God, how He is and how He runs His universe, we reflect that here. His church, as a matter of fact, is to reflect His whole way of governance. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, it was His intent that through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the onlooking universe. God is a God of love. We can trust Him and we serve Him. To understand this great controversy, to understand how we fit into it, how the angels fit into it, gives us great peace and understanding and it answers questions that to others are unanswerable. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your goodness. We're thankful for the way you run your universe. Your involvement of the angels, your willingness to ask questions. And most of all, for the grace that you have poured out on us through Jesus Christ. Lord, that your image may be reproduced in us, that we may bring glory to you, for the hour of your judgment has come. In Jesus' name, amen.